as we continue our journey through the book of Ephesians. Last week we looked at Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 16 and we looked at the idea of how we are gifted to do God's will for us and how God not only calls us but equips us to do that will. And this week we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4 verses 25 through chapter 5 verse 2. But if you're like me and you start looking through your lectionary and you start wondering what's missing why what are what are those verses in between and those verses in between this uh, it sets up today's passage as well as connecting it to last week so i'm just going to share that with you it's that idea of clothing yourself with the new person and to be created in god's image it's that idea of being transformed um, and to be and that you are transformed as god begins to dwell within you and that you don't continue to live in the way in which you were because you are a new creation in Christ, um, you and you are called to live differently. And you may be saying, well, well, what does that look like? What does it mean to live differently? And that's what we look at as we hear these words from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 25, where it says, So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing, rather let them labor and work honestly with their own hands, so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear it. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption, but put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So growing up, I am sure that you all had rules. Um, some had more rules than others. Some homes had different rules than others. But we all had rules, uh, things that we did do or that we didn't do, things that we were told, this is what, how we behave. This is how what the, we don't do that. And, and many times it was just, uh, they were even unspoken rules, and they were just, this is who we are. Um, but if you're like me, I, I was not a defiant kid, but I was inquisitive, and so anytime that there was a rule that was stated, I found myself asking the question, why? Why is this a rule? And I'd ask it about any kind of rule that got put in place, and, and there were times in my life where I would ask it and I would have, and there would be good reasons for rules. I can remember when I started a youth ministry position and we were getting ready to go to camp and somebody gave me a list of things to bring and things not to bring from previous years. And one of the things on it was, do not bring a blow dart gun to camp. And so my question immediately was like, why? Is this really needed to be on this list? Is, is this really necessary as a rule? I feel like this is kind of un, unspoken and it just kind of goes without saying. And as I asked that question, I was 
immediately given the information that there was a kid a few years ago that did bring a blow dart gun to the camp and he did find himself hiding in trees and shooting th- things with his blow dart gun and so yes it was a much needed rule um, but there, uh, at the same time there are some times where we begin to ask the why and um, we start to find out that there is no real rhyme or reason um, I'm reminded of a story I once heard of this man and woman got married and, and the first night the, the woman wanted to prepare a meal for her husband to really impress him and, and she wanted to prepare her family recipe of brisket and so she started off by cutting off the ends of the brisket and putting it in the oven then after it was done, the man, after glowing and saying how great the meal was, asked her, but I just want to know, why do you cut off the ends of your brisket? And she said, I don't know, that's what my mom always did. And so they picked up the phone, called her mom, and she said, I don't know, that's what your grandma always did. And so as they called the grandma, her response was, well, I don't know why you cut off the ends of your brisket. I cut off the ends because I didn't have a pan big enough to hold the whole thing. And you see, sometimes these are how rules get put in place. We, we start to follow and abide by things um, without knowing the why behind it. And, re- and, then start to, and as we start to ask questions, realize that it's not necessarily a needed thing. But this passage that we're looking at reminds me of the family rules that we had growing up. Those spoken and unspoken, those things that were, this is just what we do. These are the rules of the church. This is the rules of the body of Christ. And for many of us, as we hear even that language, it it brings about memories for us and and some of us maybe even a negative thought about growing up and hearing those do's and don'ts of the church. Of This is why we do it, but there was no real why. It was... You just don't do that and you do this. Well, why? Because that's just what we do or don't do. And for many of us, it took place in, in children's and youth sermons and kids' moments where we would hear this truth that we are temples of God. Our bodies are temples. But so often that managed to find its way into sermons that would look at specific behaviors that might damage our bodies. And we would, and it would be like, this is why you don't drink, or this is why you don't cuss, this is why you don't smoke, this is why you don't have premarital sex, this is why you don't overeat, etc., etc., etc. Which is all, for the most part, good. But the problem is, is that there was no real substance. It was just this idea of, we are a temple. But no understanding as to why am I a temple? What does that mean to be a temple? And many of these uh, sermons became just opportunities with no real grounding. They became just opportunities to scare kids or youth from doing things that their parents or the leaders of the church did not want them engaging in. And so we just said, why don't you do it? Because your body is a temple and you don't do that to your body. Does this sound familiar? I mean, many of us grew up in this type of faith with this blind allegiance to whatever we were told to do or not to do. And the, and the why was never really addressed. It was never really answered for us. And, and, and as we grew older, we began to realize that we still had these questions of why. And so what happens is when we can't answer the why, we say, well, I don't have to abide by that anymore. And we find ourselves leaving. Or even more detrimental to faith so often, it was that belief of uh, what my parents used to tell me sometimes, because I said so, that's why. And we, and we don't necessarily say that as a church, but we do say things like, because the Bible says so. 
or because your body is a temple. Well, what does that mean, even mean? And we don't, we don't understand what that means. We just use these crutch uh, boxed phrases that we've heard for so long. But this scripture that we read is not just a list of do's and don'ts. It's not just some rules of what to do and not do. But it does give us the why. It gives us the reason and the call. And I love the fact that it begins. The very first thing that it says is to put away falsehoods. It's it's that idea of live out the truth. It's be who you are called and created to be. Be the person that God created you for. Stop trying to be someone that the world is calling or telling you you need to be. Stop trying to be who you think you're supposed to be. But be who God created you to be. Stop trying to mark off the list of what the world says you're supposed to look like, act like, and say and do. But do what it is that God is calling you to. This is what we talked about last week. Is being that authentic, true to yourself as you live out your call. And this was an issue in the biblical days as well as today. It's We look at it and we look at this idea of the book of Ephesians and how it's it's rooted and grounded in this central understanding that our reality, uh, that who we are as a person empowers and is reflected in our conduct. Or or maybe you've heard it said, don't tell me who you are, show me who you are. That, That who you authentically are is lived out in what you do. And so often we begin to believe the lie and so therefore we're not we're not we're living in this falsehood and we live out that falsehood as well which is why so many of us find ourselves going I don't know how I got here because we've been living out a lie. And and we hear this played out earlier in Ephesians in the in the verses that we read a few weeks ago where it says remember that one, one time you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision, remember that you were without at that time without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Did you hear it? Did you hear the why? Why do we do what we do, or why don't we do what we're not what we don't do? And it's this idea that the old reality where we found ourselves was a place of isolation from God and from Christ and even from God's people. A reality of utter helplessness and hopelessness. And for many of us, we may say, that's not my former reality, that's my current reality. That's where I find myself right now. And the good news that we hear is that this is a depiction of, as we hear in our text, the old self, that, but that God has changed this through Christ's death. He's opened the door that we may enter into a new reality, a reality in Christ, a reality to, that where we show off this falsehood and all this seeking to hopelessness and helplessness and seeking to be who the world tells us to be, but uh, uh, that we become who we truly are created and called to be. And since our reality, as we talked about, empowers and shapes what we do, we begin to realize that we no longer have to live the way in which we have been living. For many of us, I feel like we think that things are going to change, and so we just keep doing what we've been doing and hoping that we get a different reaction, which I learned a long time ago is the definition of insanity. 
We begin to continue to live into the falsehoods, continue to live in and try to appease the ways of the world, and then we get, and then we get confused and try to figure out, well, why aren't things going, why is this not working? And it's because it's not who you were created to be to begin with. Because as we hear in our text, we are created to live according to the God's likeness. And this, this change is, is the evidence of a transformed life. That as we begin to walk through that door, as we accept God and we say, God, I don't, I don't want you to just be a guest, but I want you to live and reign in my life. And I want to live out your call for me. That's when we start to transform our life. That we're no longer bound up by, by sin and by seeking the ways of this world. We, we no longer have to try to, the, to live out this justification mentality of, well, well I, just had to, I didn't have a choice. I had to pick the lesser of two evils. Or, or we hide behind this phrasing of, well, the, means justified, the ends ju- justified the means. That what I was trying to get, I had to do this to get there. And God goes, no, no. Because we're made new. We're introduced to another way, to a different reality, to a way of love and forgiveness and fullness of life given to us, a way in which the Holy Spirit encourages us to grow in the likeness of Christ. But this this vision, this hope, this new reality is more than just an individual morality. It's more than just about you. You know, those sermons that we heard growing up when they said that our body is a temple, while yes, that is true, the why of our body being a temple, we have to understand that in ancient Judaism, the idea of a temple was a sacred and mysterious place where there was this intersection between heaven and earth where, where somehow the reign of God would break into the kingdoms of this world. And so to say that we are a temple is to say that we are that sacred intersection. That the breaking in point of God's reign in this world is no longer a building in Jerusalem, but a people. And not just any people, but as we hear in that text, it would be the unified and yet diverse people of God that Jesus binds together Jews and Gentiles through God's saving action in Christ, but that it is also the people that choose to enter into this new reality for which the door has been opened. And through the resurrecting power of the Spirit, God has created thus new that we are the, the hub of God's presence in this world, that we are that temple, we are that intersection, we are called to live out that new reality that this is what God is calling us to. This is what we as the church are called to do. Not the church building, but the church people. And that's why it's not an individual morality, but we as followers are called to do it in community. Our why is, in fact, that we are the temple. That we are called to claim and to be the place uh, where the kingdom of God breaks through into this earthly reality and makes things new. That, that others may not, have to, may not be able to know their current reality is not all that there is. That's the problem is that for many of us, we don't know that there's another reality, but we as the church are called to introduce others to this new reality that you no longer have to live in this hopeless and helpless nature where you don't know God, but that you have this opportunity to enter into a new reality. That your current situation is not all that there is. That this reality that appears to pride itself, our current world and culture that appears to pride itself on divisive speech, on anger and hate and vengeful retribution, 
against those that are different is not all that there is because the kingdom of God stands in defiant opposition to that. And and that we are called to be the temple and to bring in that breaking point where we say that's not what we are called and created to be. We are called and created to be this new reality, to be imitators of God, following the example of Christ. As we hear in our text, we are called to forgive because and just as God first forgave. And we are called to love because we are loved, but also as God first loved. And we are called to live selfless lives because God and God-pleasing lives because Christ set that example for us in the way in which he lived. To fulfill God's salvation designed for all people, that we are called to usher people in to the kingdom of God. Through these ways of living, our behavior sets the standard it's harmonious with this grace-filled new reality that we are called and ushered into, and we are called to usher others into as well. One which has been established and made accessible by God, shown through Christ, and that we have been empowered to do by the Holy Spirit. So what would happen? What would happen if the church rejected the, the current reality of this world? That, that, that reality that calls us to crawl down into the pit of cruelty, hate, and division. What if, what if we said we're not going to live in that reality anymore because we know a new reality, we are new creations, and we are going to embrace the call to kindness, forgiveness, honesty, and love. What if the church embraced its vocation, its call, its sacred call, as those to, that proclaim the reign of God? What if we started living out and truly were believed that we are the temple? What if we sought to live into this new reality? That this is not, that the, the way in which the world is, the reality, quote unquote, that the world is living in, is not what we are called to do. But we instead sit, we're seeking to heal our broken, sin-sick kingdom of this world. What if we lived into this new reality as the church? What if we lived so that others may be able to know that their current reality is not all that there is? Because that's where we are called to today. To live in love and grace and mercy and forgiveness against this this culture of hate and division and separation. We are called to bring about the unifying love and grace of Jesus Christ. So where is it that you can show love this day? Where is it that you can be a light, a beacon of God's goodness in a world of darkness? Where is it that you can truly begin to live into this fact that you are the temple. Amen and amen.